0: got your Bibles, I encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Matthew 25, there's probably a red Bible in front of you if you don't own one. Matthew's uh, the first gospel in the New Testament, so kind of the uh, middle half of the Bible there. So Matthew 25, the passage scripture is also in your bulletin as well as uh, on the screen. And so to make you aware of a few things that you found in your seat as well in your bulletin, uh, we have just joining us, we're kind of in the season of Lent, which is a 40-day journey toward the resurrection Easter Sunday. And what we've been doing as a family is memorizing three psalms. Psalm 8, Psalm 130, and then Psalm 100. And so this is the beginning of memorizing Psalm 100. should have got uh, week 5 in your bulletin if you didn't. There's a bunch of them back on the, uh, the welcome table. And remember, we've, we've kind of classified these into different uh, kind of categories. So this is a psalm of new orientation, which is basically where we're singing ourselves into a new reality and we're, we're singing about what Jesus has inaugurated uh, through his resurrection. And so this is going to lead us up to Easter Sunday and and looking forward to gathering with you guys as we celebrate the resurrected King. Uh, also in your chair, you found like an invite card. Um, so two things to invite people to. Obviously, Easter Sunday is a big Sunday. Uh, we we'll do three services, 830, 10, 1130. We got tons of these cards. You can grab some more at the welcome table. and encourage you to invite your friends, family, coworkers. We also do a Good Friday service. Uh, that will be at our East Congregation off of Rudy Lane. We combine with them. We'll do a 5 and a seven and so uh yeah it's a beautiful weekend and so I just encourage you to grab one of these cards and drop it off uh, to someone and say hey come be a part of this with me family coworker, whatever and then because we're doing three services then we need people to step in and help us you know we're adding an additional service and so if you can serve over easter man we would really need your help especially within hospitality as well as kids and so if you can come and attend one serve two You're a superstar, and I'll give you a big kiss. Amen? Uh, If you can come, that's kind of weird, so maybe not. Uh, If you can come and serve one, attend one, awesome. Uh, We just need people to kind of step in. So the best way to make your presence known in that is to fill out this Serve Easter card. You can drop it off at the Welcome Center, and someone will get in touch with you, um, yeah, this coming week. And so one more thing, and then I'm done. We'll dive into the text. Uh, So the the, the Monday right after Easter, we will start our renovations in this auditorium. And that renovation will take about two and a half months. And so in the meantime, we will be gathering in the atrium. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with that, all right? So we've got some work we're doing to kind of help with the, the sun so that we can see in there. You know, we, we thought about buying sunglasses for everybody, but we found out those things get kind of expensive. You know, it's like even though a buck a, a sunglass, if you buy like 500 of them, that's $500. I guess you guys know the math. So it's like we're not going to spend that. So you're welcome to bring sunglasses, but we're hopefully going to have shade in there to where it won't be so crazy and bright. We've already built a stage inside the uh, fountain, and so... Um, So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm hoping as a family we'll look back on that and go, you know that time when we met in the atrium? That was awesome. So, hopefully, that's how I'm thinking about it, all right? So, I'm trying to be really positive, but it'll be a a transition for us over uh, the next two and a half months as we get some renovation done in this auditorium, all right? So, yeah, good stuff. Just kind of want to give you a a heads up on what we're doing. So, yeah, we are finishing up. We're getting close to finishing up a series on the parables, and so if you're just joining us, uh, parables are... Uh, short stories that that Jesus used to harden some people's hearts, as crazy as that sounds, as well as to soften others. And so we we see both of those purposes happening when Jesus taught in parables. And so uh, we broke them down kind of in three big categories. We didn't unpack all the parables, but we talked about parables of money at the beginning of the year. We talked about parables of the kingdom. And now we're talking about parables of judgment. And so uh, we got today and then we've got next Sunday. And so, um, so yeah, once again, I know this is uh, this is hard to hear and it's hard to preach to be real honest with you at times. And I'm kind of a, am uh, kind of temperamentally wired to where I want everybody to be okay and happy. And I'm always, you know, I, like ju- judging my staff, Hey, you guys, okay. Everything good. And, and sometimes when you preach a hard message, like, you know, these judgment messages can be, you kind of leave feeling very weighty, not only you, but also, uh, me, but, but I'm just reminding us as a family that, um, yeah, we would not be a very Jesus-centered church if we did not spend time talking and discussing something that Jesus taught a lot about, and Jesus taught a lot about judgment. Over half of his stories that we see in the Gospels have to do something with judgment. So just like we said about money, like if we're a church that neglects talking about money, then we're not a very Jesus-centered church because Jesus talked a lot about money. And so the same with judgment. I know these are, these are hard truths for us to think through, process. Judgment isn't a great thing to talk about in culture. But these are not my words. These are Jesus' words. And we're going to wrestle with some of the hard truths that Jesus has to say. And so with that, I just want to also um, say that, that sometimes, you know, I, I've, got, I've got, you know, I've got 35, 40 minutes up here. At best, I know sometimes I bleed into 50 and you guys are really gracious and let me do that without yelling at me too much. But, but usually my mindset, I'm trying to go 40 and that's it. And so that with the limit of time, I can't answer every question, objection. Sometimes I don't nuance things on purpose. Sometimes I don't qualify things on purpose. Because if you find yourself nuancing a lot of stuff and qualifying a lot of stuff, then the truth has a way of not kind of receiving it with the kind of weight that I want you to receive it with. And so with that said, I just want to encourage you. Like, let's have conversation. You know, I had a conversation with an individual after service last week, and it was great. I loved it, man, and I, and I want that. So don't be afraid to shoot an email to me, even if you disagree. Like, I, I'm good. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. If a question comes up as I'm talking, uh, let's let's conversate about it. You know, I just I just can't in the amount of time I have, Answer all the objections. But I, but I want to hear some of what you're hearing or, or thinking through. And at the same time, um, I, I want us, like I said last week, to be a people that sit under the Word of God and not a people that sit over the Word of God. And so whenever I have a problem with the Word of God personally, like I'm first saying this, I don't have a problem with the Word of God. I have a problem with me. Something's going on here. The Word of God has confronted something in my interior world. And I want to wrestle with that. I want to bring that before the Lord and say, so, okay, what are, you, what are you doing here? And so, um, so yeah, with that said, I, I pray that the Lord will do his work in our midst as we look at another passage of Scripture on judgment. And so if you, if you brought a friend, please come back. All right, Please come back. Um, and if you have questions, I'd love to have more dialogue with you. All right? So let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. And one last thing. I'm so sorry. I feel like I've got all these things I'm trying to say. Um, I, I have made some adjustments from the first service. I've switched things around a little bit. And so I just want you to be very patient with Trevor, who's our slide guy. And so if any slides show up that are not as they're supposed to be, that's on me. That's not on Trevor, all right? Because it was kind of like a, a quick little curveball, and we didn't get a chance to kind of work through it. So just kind of bear with him and me as we – I just made a few adjustments in the sermon. I felt like there's places where it fit better to put certain content. So um, you guys always get the best, I think, because I get to kind of work it through the nine and then you get the better half and 11. I don't know. Maybe not. So maybe it's just me. All right. I'm done. I'm not done, done, but I'm done doing all that stuff. Well, let's, uh, let's read together. Chapter 25, beginning in verse one. So at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish one took their lamps, but not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and then they all became drowsy, and they all fell asleep. And at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil or our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with them to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. And later the others also came and they said, sir, sir, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, stay alert, be awake, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we are, we're thankful for the word of God. Lord, um, it's something that probably most of us in this room, including me at times, just take for granted. But we want to give thanks that you don't leave us in the dark when it comes to what's going to happen in the end. And so as hard as it is to deal with something called judgment, I pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and our eyes and help us to understand what you're saying in this passage. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there's always these um, kind of questions or situations that you you know, when you get to heaven, you want to kind of ask Jesus about. You know, there's all kinds of stories in the Bible that I just say, can you help me understand what this looked like and what would happen here? But one of the things that I would love to learn a little bit more about is the area of dreams, right? Dreams are just so strange. I mean, I I get it, you know, and in the Old Testament, God used dreams to communicate and talk to people. And I, and I still think God uses dreams to do that also, but primarily speaks through his word. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, dreams just can be just so strange and leave you so puzzled. And like, what was that about? Why was that there? And and they can be so vivid and real. You know what I'm saying? Like you, when you wake up and you're sweating from a dream, it just shows you how real it is. It's just like so Uh, strange. And so uh, one of the dreams that I have uh, that probably frightens me the most, other than the one that all of us have when we show up in public and we're not fully clothed and we're going like, what is that all about? Um, Okay, not many snickers on that one. So maybe I'm the only one here that has that weird dream when you show up at high school and you're not fully clothed. You're going, I should know better than this. This is crazy. But the other one that, uh, that I do have often, I don't have that one very often. Thanks for a few smiles. I feel very naked up here right now. Um, so maybe my dream is coming true. Uh, but but one that I often have uh, throughout the year is that I will dream that I show up on Sunday and I'm sitting in my normal little seat and it dawns on me that I've got to preach and I'm not ready. Like it's frightening. I, I'm serious. I, I probably have that dream maybe four Five times a year and I like I feel it. Like I'm sitting there and I'm absolutely terrified that I realize in about 10 minutes I gotta get up and share something with a group of people and I am not ready. And man, I wake up from that dream going, Hallelujah. That is a dream, man, because it is. It's one of the which is Crazy for some of you that think about this, but it is an enormous fear that somehow I would arrive here and not be ready to go for what I do on a weekend and week out basis. And so, you know, some of you may not necessarily resonate fully with that, but all of us in this room kind of hate to, you know, kind of hate that feeling where you show up for something and you're not necessarily prepared for. It. You know, you show up at work and maybe your boss says, Hey, I need you to do this presentation. And you're not one that, Flies by the seat of your britches, right? Like, you got to have some preparation and readiness, and you're like, that's high stress for you. Like, you're freaking out about it. Or, you know, none of us in this room when we were in school loved pop quizzes. It's not like, hallelujah, today was a pop quiz day. No, we, we, we hated those because it exposed our unreadiness, so to speak, or our unpreparedness. You know, some of us in this room probably don't like it when, you know, people show up unexpected. You know, it's like, hello. A little warning would have been helpful, and I would have got some of the underwear off the floor, right? You know, it's like, can you give me a, a heads up? And I would have been better prepared for your kind of, a, a, you know, surprise arrival, so to speak. And so, but here's kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to get, get at with that is this. As awful as that may feel, right, as awful as that experience could feel, um, it doesn't compare to how awful it will be if you face judgment without being ready. And I just, I want us to sit with that a little bit. Because if this life, this kind of grand story that we're all a part of is is linear, it's headed to something. And Jesus, the God man, God in the flesh has warned us and said, this is where it's headed. It's it's headed to judgment. And there's going to be a separation, a sorting, a, a division's going to happen there. That's where it's headed, if it is true that man lives once, humanity lives once, and then after that, the judgment. If it is true that, that we are living in the last days, which I do believe we are. Acts chapter 2 tells us that when the prophecy of Joel has been fulfilled, we're living in the last days, and the prophecy of Joel is that the Spirit of God will dwell upon all of humanity who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, both male and female, that Spirit of God will, will come in and dwell in them. And when that happens, we're in the last days. We're, we're in them. We're not waiting for them. We're not pr- trying to get there. No, we're in the last days. In the imminent return of Jesus, it's going to happen. If all that is true, which I believe it is, then my readiness, my preparedness is of great importance. And that's what this passage is about. I mean, it's, I mean, there's some squirrely things going on in here, but ultimately, Jesus helps us understand what this passage is about in verse 13, where he just says, Therefore, keep watch, be alert, be ready, be prepared. And so just so that we kind of know what's the context here, and we, we, we touched on this a few weeks ago when we did the um, the parable of the talents. So that's the parable right after the one we just read. And so this is, this is the setting here is Jesus is coming to the end of his life. And what he's, remember what he's trying to do here with his disciples is trying to prepare them for his absence. So, so in their mindset, like the kingdom of God is going to happen. Like Jesus is here, they're convinced he's the one they've been looking for. And there's just this expectation that man, any moment, Jesus is going to do some smackdown, right? He's going to, you know usher in his reign and rule, he's going to conquer this foreign rule of Roman Empire. like this is going to happen, and there's this anticipation that any moment this is going to happen. And what Jesus does in the end here, especially with these three parables, the parable that's before that at the end of chapter 24, the parable of the Ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then we're looking at the parable of the sheep and goats next week. He's preparing his disciples for his absence. Like you're not expecting this. This is not on your radar, but there's going to be a period of time when I'm not going to be here. And so I want to prepare you on what does it look like for you to live during this period of absence? How are you to be? How are you to live during this time when you weren't expecting me leaving, but that's what's going to happen? And so that... So that's the kind of context that we find this parable in. So let's just kind of work through the parable quickly, all right? And then I want to land on basically two words that I think we can draw out of this for our own application when it comes to the issue of judgment that we see even in this parable. So look at verse 1 with me uh, real quick here. So at the time of the kingdom of heaven, it will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five were wise And he defines the foolish ones as this. They're the ones that took their lamps, but not to take any oil with them. The wise are the ones who took oil and jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And so when we read this, we're going, man, what is going on? It's so weird. And I'm sorry about the parents who have young kids here who are going to to explain what virgin means on the way home from church. And so I love you. Please don't send me a mean, nasty email. But here's. Here's the thing. This, I know it seems really foreign. This whole setting seems really foreign to us, but in this time, it's, it was a common occurrence. you got to remember, in these days, like a wedding would last about a week. It was a massive event. You know, in our time, you know, a wedding may last four hours, right? You know, that's, that's pretty long. Sometimes it's a little shorter than that, but in this time, man, a wedding was an enormous communal event where it lasted as close to a week, and so the thing that he's describing here is very common in this time, and so so to kind of like, you know, help us make the cultural jump to some extent, the ten virgins would be similar to bridesmaids. That's, what's, that's kind of the corollary there. So these are people that have a, you know, a good relationship with both the groom and the bride. And it was an honor, just like it is today, to be in the wedding in this time. And so what he's describing here is kind of this, um, kind of this welcoming processional where there's an escort of the newly married couple from the bride's house to the groom's house where there would be this massive banquet. And this processional would happen at nighttime. And it wasn't like, you know, you know, it's not like a walk from here to the fountain. You know, this was a a pretty long extended processional where you needed lights. You needed, you know, some torches to kind of light the way so you know where to go. And this was, once again, a huge celebrated event. And so the lamps or torches that are described here, so if it you know, it could go both ways. So if it's a lamp, it's kind of similar to what we would think, kind of like, you know, somewhat of a small oil tank with a wick, and you need the oil to obviously keep the fire going. Or it could have been a torch, which is kind of where I lean a little bit, that, that that's, that's, has linen on the top of it that has to be soaked in oil for the, for the torch to burn, obviously. And the torch would burn about 10 to 15 minutes, but then you would have to soak it in oil again in order for it to continue to burn. And so what we see here is Jesus defines the five foolish Bridesmaids as the ones who think the groom's going to come back quickly so don't bring an extra reserve of oil. You follow me? So he defines the five foolish bridesmaids as the ones who think the groom is going to come back quickly and so then therefore they don't bring any reserve oil for their torch. The five wise bridesmaids are the ones who prepare for the possible delay of the groom. By bringing extra oil so they'll be ready for this processional, this, this kind of escort. And so look what happens here. Verse 6. So at midnight, the cry rang out. The cry was this. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. So when we, when we kind of first read this, we feel like, man, that's, that's kind of mean, right? You know, it's a little... Well, self-serving and selfish. Come on, just a little bit of oil, you know. Give me just a little bit, you know. But but the reality is this, is that, that it's it's not mean and it's not selfish because this, this event that we're describing here, if there's no light along the way, it completely ruins the ceremony. So this is, you know, this is not like running out of rice or bird seed, you know, at the end of a wedding we're just throwing it on the the, you know, the couple, as they get in the car, nobody really cares. Oh, wow, we didn't have enough bags of seed. No, that's not a big deal. It's more, and maybe this is a little stretch, but it's similar to this. It'd be like you're, you know, you're on the stage there, you're getting ready to do the, you know, exchanging of the rings, and your best man forgets the ring, right? It's like, oh, sorry, man. It's in, the other, in my pocket of jeans, and I'm back in the hotel or whatever. It's like, moron, right? It's like, you just ruined the ceremony, or, you know, Worse than that is like the groomsmen or the bridesmaid just forgot their wedding attire and they all showed up wearing whatever they wanted to wear. I mean, that's how big this was. This wasn't a light matter. This is huge. And so for them not to light the way would would ruin the whole wedding ceremony and this wonderful event. So it's not being selfish or mean for them to say, no, I'm not giving you any oil. Actually, it reflects their concern for their friend's wedding. It actually reflects the, the concern that their wedding, this event, goes really well. And it's not just being selfish or mean. And then look what happens here in verses 11. I'm going to read all the way to 13. That's what it says here. Later, the others also came and they yelled out, sir, sir, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I do not know you. And here's the point of the parable. Therefore, keep watch. Some of your translations may say, be alert, stay awake, because you do not know the day or the hour. So I know if if you've got a translation that says stay awake, it seems kind of strange because in the parable, all ten virgins fall asleep. And I just want to say that's not the problem with the parable. They're not, there's no problem with all of them falling asleep. The problem with the parable is there's five virgins, five bridesmaids who are not prepared. They're not ready. So the idea of keeping watch or staying alert or being awake is the idea of being ready, being prepared, having yourself, you know, you know you know what's coming. You know where this is going. You know that, yeah, I don't know the hour or the day, but Jesus has warned us over and over that my coming again, is going to happen. It's a fact in history. Just like his first coming was a fact in history, This second coming will also be that. And so we need to be a people who are ready for his imminent return. We need to be a people who are prepared for this. Don't be a fool. Be one who is wise. And the one who is wise is the one who is ready, prepared for the return of Jesus. And so then therefore, that makes you ask a question, what does that look like then? What does it look like to be a ready people? What does it look like, wow, for me to be awake, to be alert, to keep watch? If it doesn't mean I'm supposed to stay up 24-7 until Jesus comes back, then what does it mean for me to be a ready, prepared people? And I want to give you two words, all right? Because I think what happens here is that Jesus goes on in these next two parables, the parable of talents and the parable of sheep and goats, and explains what that looks like. So if you're to keep watch since you don't know when I'm coming back, but you do know I'm coming back, and you're supposed to be alert and ready, then what does that tangibly look like in our lives? And so the first one we dealt with in the parable of talents. And so I'm just going to briefly hit it again. So if you've not heard that sermon, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because that's a big emphasis here. So the first word is this. So what does readiness look like? What does preparedness look like? It looks like faithfulness. Faithfulness. In the parable of talents, we recognize that, that all of us in this room have been given gifts. Not, not necessarily in this context talking about spiritual gifts, but he's talking about abilities, capacities, gifting, uh, your, 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 your space and time in which you live right now, where you live right now. That's all a gift from God. And God's call on your life is to be faithful with what he has given to you. I think one of the best pictures for me in the area of faithfulness, when I think about what what God is after here in the area of faithfulness, is my brother. My brother is uh, two years older than me. Uh, He's got a wife that had been married 15, 16, 17 years, somewhere in there. I forget. Uh, He's got two precious girls, uh, Meredith and Courtney. Meredith is a senior, and and then Courtney is a freshman in high school. My brother lives in upstate New York. Some of you may not know this, but listen, Canton, New York, which is about 30 miles south of the Canadian border, and so uh, winters are long there. That's that's a massive understatement. Amen. Uh, they they still got snow on the ground, and I think there's another bad stuff coming to them. So, uh, and my brother has been a pastor of this small church there for almost 20 years. Canton is a really small community. It's not a growing, thriving community. It it's it's just it's similar to what like Lebanon Junction is to me, maybe a little bit bigger than Lebanon Junction. And because it's not this thriving, growing community, you're gonna pastor a church that's probably not gonna grow much. And as a pastor, like I'm just telling you, that is hard. That is really, really hard. And my brother has been there for close to 20 years as a faithful presence, weekend, weekend and week out, preaching the gospel, being present at funerals, at weddings, at times when people are sick, when marriages are falling apart. He's actually volunteered at a, a local university there just to kind of get a presence of Christ on that, in that area to share the gospel with people, and he's been doing that for 20-some-odd years. And here's, here's the reality. This is, and, and please hear me, I'm not, this is not reflected upon our church at all, but sometimes when you've been at one place for so long, Your church forgets how much of a gift your pastor is. For someone to be there for almost 20 years when the longest tenure before him was about three is an enormous blessing for a small church. Enormous blessing. And sometimes that goes unnoticed and unrewarded. And that's what we said a few weeks ago. That's what makes faithfulness so difficult. My brother's not rolling into any kind of conferences and big deals to speak at. Not a bit. My brother's not getting noticed in the evangelical world, so to speak. And there's not a whole lot of pat on the backs. But he's faithful. And I would say that One of the reasons he's able to be faithful is because of judgment. Judgment, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. We just sang it a few minutes ago. You're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So there's nothing to fear with judgment. Actually, it's a a hopeful, joyful expectation when you get to see Jesus face to face. And at that moment, your faithfulness is not going to go unnoticed or unrewarded. Even the smallest act, your father sees it. He takes note and you will be rewarded. And that truth is what helps empower us in seasons when it's really, really difficult. So what's preparedness look like? What does readiness look like? Faithfulness. Stay in the course. Staying at it. Staying at a job that may be a dead-end job and you're really frustrated. Staying in a marriage that seems to be really difficult trying to get help, but you're staying at it. You're working at it. You know, parenting a special needs child requires a whole lot of faithfulness and staying at it. And it's a job that goes unnoticed and unrewarded in a fallen, broken world. But Jesus sees. Jesus sees. And he will reward you. So what does readiness look like? What does preparedness, what does keep watch look like? It looks like faithfulness. Second word is this, is examine. Now, where in the world, Lyle, are you getting the word examine from this passage of Scripture? Well, if you go back to verse 11 in here, and I'll read it to you. It may not be on the screen, which is fine. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Later, the others also came, the five foolish bridesmaids, right? And they yell out, sir, sir, open the door for us. But he replied what? What did he say to them? I tell you the truth. I don't, I don't know you. Now, if you... If you're following along, all right, so, so listen, the, these are five bridesmaids who missed the wedding banquet and they have no desire to miss it. I'll say it again. These are five bridesmaids who missed the wedding banquet and they have no desire to miss it. Now, if you were with us last week, some of you may see that and go, man, that's kind of a contradiction to what you said. You said last week that that what happens ultimately when, when, they, when people go to hell, it's just God giving them what they want. They don't want God, so God's just kind of giving them what it is that they want. We see that also in Romans chapter 2. Well, well, here, Lau, it seems like these bridesmaids want to be in the banquet, but if, if we want to kind of represent that he being God the Father at the end of judgment, he's excluding them It says, I don't know you. So what in the world is going on here. Well, I'll tell you what's going on here. The central message of this parable is not directed to those people that are indifferent to Christ or indifferent to his message. It's actually directed to those people who call themselves Christians and are not Christians. That's who the, the central message this is going to. This is a, a warning, a wake up for those people who say, I'm a Christian, but in reality, they are not. I mean, look at the similarities that we see here. All of these bridesmaids were invited, every one of them. All of them responded to the invitation. All clearly had some kind of friendship or relationship to some extent with the bride and the groom. All of them fell asleep. Sometimes you read that parable and say, "What's well, the problem?" Idiots! They shouldn't have fallen asleep. No, all of them did. That wasn't the problem with the parable. Everyone, the wise and the foolish, fell asleep, and that's where all the similarities end. Because the separation is is that there were five of them that were not ready. There were five of them that were not prepared. There was five of them that really showed what was going on on the inside of who they are. Look, I said I know, man. We get. If you've been in church in a long time, you get kind of weirded out with stuff like this because it's like, all right, man, you're making me down. Just just hear me. If you are here right now and you have a sensitivity to the Spirit of God to where when I talk about this kind of stuff to where it already immediately raises doubts in your mind, you're going, oh, maybe maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe that didn't take. Maybe I need to do this whole thing over again. I want to say I'm not talking to you. I'm not. I I would argue that's evidence of the Spirit of God in you because you're sensitive to that. But there are some of you in here who hear the warnings like this and you just kind of, ah, that's not me. That's somebody else. That's who Jesus is talking about. Over and over, guys, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus warns people. Just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian. Matthew chapter 7, what does it say there? What does it say there? Those who said... Lord, a oh Lord, you call me Lord, you say you got a relationship with me, but then Jesus says, no, I don't, I don't even know who you are. The only people that I have a relationship with are those who what? Who do what? The will of my Father. That, that's the evidence of the reality of you being a Christian, not because you say you are, not because you have the verbiage, and that's the danger of living in an overchurched area. A lot of you in this room, you know the lingo. You know the verbiage. You know kind of the majority of the big stories that are in the Bible. Some of you in this room can, can kind of articulate the good news or the gospel. But the reality is this, is you do not know the Father, and the Father does not know you. Why? Why do you say that? Because there's no fruit. There's no evidence of a relationship with God. We don't do the will of the Father in order to gain a relationship with the Father. We have a relationship with the Father, and therefore we do the will of the Father, and that's evidence of us having a relationship with the Father. There's a want. It doesn't mean that fruit is is full, right? It doesn't mean that fruit is bearing all the time. But down deep in your own soul, man, in the interior of your world, you want to obey God. And it breaks your heart when you don't. If that is not evident in your life, this is a warning from you to stop and examine. Why do you call yourself a Christian? Why? Well, I I walked an aisle when I was eight years old. All right, I hear you. Those are important moments, I really do. But if you're basing your evidence solely as a Christian because you walked an aisle, man, that could be really dangerous. Well, I, you know, I got baptized. Well, okay, that's an important event. But if you're solely basing your relationship with God because you got baptized, that could be really dangerous. Well, I, you know, I, I went to a confirmation class. Okay, I hear you. Those can be important. But if you're basing your relationship solely because you went to a confirmation class where you're a 10 or 11 or 12, it could be really dangerous. You don't go up to somebody... And say, I want to prove to you that I'm physically alive, and this is how I'm going to do it. I've got my birth certificate in the back of my pocket. Whoop, boom, here it is. Why don't you do that? Because all you got to do is say, Look, I'm, I'm moving, right? That's evidence that I'm alive. I'm breathing, you know, that's evidence that I'm alive. Same way as a Christian, because there's fruit, there's a want. There's change. Maybe not overnight, but in time. And Jesus is bringing a warning here in this parable. Examine. Examine. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 13? Verse 5, he says, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. There is coming a day. There is coming a day where Jesus will be able to see right through you. And if you are not in Him, that is going to be a horrific time because He will look at you and go, I don't know you. This parable is a call for you to examine Am I a Christian? How do I know I'm a Christian? What, what, what is there in my life? And if this is hard for you to ask and kind of like assess whether or where you are, then get a friend. Get, a, get a, you know, a parent. Get your spouse and say, like, all right, man, I'm struggling. I don't know. Help me see because I'm blind to my own blindness. We're in a season of what we call Lent here, which is a 40-day journey as we head toward Easter. And a big part of Lent is what? Is what we give up, don't we? Right? There's things that we give up. You know, some of us have given up chocolate, sugar, you know, social media, uh, maybe Netflix. Hopefully not TV because it's March Madness. Amen? But maybe you did give up TV. But here's, here's the thing. When we, when we give up, there's a, there's a reason for that. And that's, this is where sometimes it's, it, it doesn't make the connection. There's a reason for giving up. The reason why you give up is so that you take in also. So whatever you're giving up, it is giving you space time to take in to examine to reflect to ask questions and i just want to say like let's do that as a body let's do that as a as a community here this is an opportunity over the season of Lent, where we can, against all cultural pressures, right, can stop, put something down, and create some space to where we examine our own lives. Because I I think what this parable is saying is that what does it look like to be prepared, to be ready? It's a call for all of us in this room to examine our lives, especially those that are here who call themselves Christians, but there's no evidence, there's no fruit of that. Jesus is coming with a warning. Wake up. Wake up. I'm coming back. Be ready. Be prepared. And so as we move into a time of communion, and I know this is always like, you know, kind of like, got to get kids, got to get out of here. I get that. I really do. And and I'm trying to encourage us in, in a way that's not, filled with guilt and make people feel bad if they have to sneak out or whatever. But I do want to encourage just us slowing down during this time. It's, it is a time that's built in in our service every week where we can do this kind of examining. And even Paul in 1 Corinthians commands us to do that. Examine yourselves before you take the cup and the wine. And so that's, this is a space that's built into our service every single week for us to just slow down and examine. And so I'm going to pray I'm going to set up communion, and I'm just going to ask us not to rush, right? You know, this is not a race. There's no secret prize if you're the first one, right? Just let's take our time and allow the Spirit to kind of examine and work in our life. Let's pray together.